This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Good morning, good morning. How's everyone doing? Cool. Jeff said we're not going to be here all night, but it says in the New Testament that Paul preached all night and people fell asleep and someone fell out of a window. So just get comfy. Everyone doing good? Had a good start to 2019? Doing well, obviously all the New Year's resolutions in full floor by now. You're doing well with your, your foreign language. You know, using social media a bit less. Going to bed a bit earlier. Eating a bit healthier. Working out. I started um, going to the gym for the first time in a long time last year. And uh, now I work out religiously. Every Christmas and Easter. So um, it's okay, we can... We can mock the Christmas and Easter people because they're not here. So we, ju- we, just, we can just go for it. You know, that, that whole thing of like, you know, I, I'm a Christian, but I, you know, I turn up at Christmas and Easter. You know, for a lot of people, that's just normal, isn't it? That, 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 that's, that's what it is. That's what Christianity looks like. I remember they asked David Cameron when he became prime minister about his religion, about his faith, and he said... Oh, I think I'm like most people in England. I'm sort of lapsed Church of England. I'm like, okay. So like this is his concept. This is kind of like what most people like, what most people are at. Our idea of normal, we get socially, don't we? What, what is normal is, is what people around us do. Last time I was in London, there's a guy walking down the street. Doc Martens, full bodysuit, face mask on, just with his eyes um uh, not covered, and uh, dreadlocks coming out the top of the face mask. And he was just walking down King's Cross like, you know, he was just going for a pint of milk. I was like, that's normal. Well, it is in London, is it? I mean, try doing that in Accrington or Burnley, you know, I'm not so sure how that would work. But that's, that's normal, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's like Dan's shirts on Life News, right? That's... It's not normal, is it? It's not normal. It's, it's, like, it's like when you see people outside their house in their dressing gown and slippers. What, what are you doing, people? It's not normal. <laughs> Obviously, to you, it is normal. Obviously, to you, it's typical. Obviously, for you, all the other people around you are doing that. So that's how, how things work. What, what, what does it mean to be a normal sort of Christian? I mean, what's normal? What's typical? Maybe it's like the David Cameron type of Christian. You know, they call him a nominal Christian. That means in name only. Imagine going for an operation. And the surgeon comes out and says, well, you know, I'm a nominal surgeon. You know, I'm a, I'm a surgeon. Yeah, I don't, I don't really practice. I, 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 don't, I don't really do it that often, but, you know, I'm here today. You wouldn't want a nominal surgeon. You wouldn't want a nominal skydiving instructor, would you? There's certain things that, that it, doesn't, it doesn't really work out, but we, we have this whole idea. Well, that, that's kind of normal. That's kind of typical, isn't it? Don't be too extreme. We, we're conscious, you know, in our world, we have this narrative about religious extremists and how dangerous that is. In fact, in our country now, we have laws that prevent religious extremists from even entering our country. Planes have been turned away. 
from people bearing the name Christian or Muslim or Hindu and all different religions by these laws that have come in in the last decade. And we're wary of this kind of thing. And as Jeff said, um, we're starting a new series today and we're talking about being devoted. And we have this value at Life Church, one of our 12 values, to be a devoted community. And it says this, that following Jesus with full devotion to Christ and his cause is normal for every Christian. Normal. But it's not normal, is it? It's not typical. It's not usual. It's not for everybody. I mean, maybe we should say that it's not normal, but it's normative. It's the standard. It's the way things should be, but maybe it's not the way that things always are. We kind of look at what everybody else is doing around us and piece something together for ourselves. So how can we say that following Jesus with full devotion to Christ and his cause is normal for every Christian? Well, I want to start with Jesus and see what he said about it. And in Matthew 19, there's a story, and you can read along with me. And this story goes in in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16, that just then a man came up to Jesus. Now, in Matthew, he's a rich man. uh, No, sorry, he's a rich young man. In Mark, the first gospel, he was just a rich man. And in Luke, he's a ruler. So a lot of people call him the rich young ruler when they put all this together. This man, he's young, he's rich, he's powerful. I don't know if he was good looking too, but we already kind of don't like him, do we? Come on. But this man says in verse 16, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. In other words, like kind of, do you really know who you're asking about this? I love that. And so Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. So he kind of gives him an amalgamation of some uh, things from the Ten Commandments and other laws kind of in the Old Testament. And the man says, all these things I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to the disciples, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now I've heard more than once some preachers say that, oh, actually there was this gate in the walls of Jerusalem called the eye of the needle and the camels had to take their cargo off the back to get through it. There's actually no good evidence for that. Jesus He's not trying to say, oh yeah, it's a bit inconvenient, isn't it? You have to take the cargo off. There's no good evidence for that in, um, in history, in scholarship. But what Jesus is doing is being dramatic. There's another, in, in the Talmud, a, a writing of the similar time, another rabbi talks about an elephant going through the eye of a needle. So it's the same point. Next verse, verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. And asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. 
Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or Brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Now, there's so much in this story of Jesus and the rich and ruler that we're not going to unpack this morning. There's so much depth there for us to explore. But what I want to focus on is the fact that this doesn't look like what a lot of us have experienced in church, what a lot of us have heard about the good news about Jesus. You see, for a lot of us, when we're asked, what do I need to do? The answer is this, you just have to believe. You just have to believe in Jesus because you're saved by grace through faith. So actually, you just need to have faith in Jesus, which we translate this Greek word faith that's in the New Testament, the word pistis, we translate it as, as belief, as, as faith. And by faith, we mean you've just got to believe. You've just got to believe that Jesus died for your sins and the grace of God covers everything. Well, what I want to ask is, why didn't Jesus say that to this man? The man said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, just believe. I've done everything. But he didn't actually say that. He says, keep the commandments. And then when the man said, ah, well, I'm doing pretty well to keep keeping the commandments, Jesus said this to him. I can see what's still holding you back. For you, the issue is your wealth. For you, there is something that is preventing you from full devotion to this new thing that God is doing. And that's what the man was talking about. When he asked for eternal life, he wasn't talking about, Jesus, when I die, can I go and live on a cloud in heaven? The Jews didn't really even have a concept of that at this time. And, and this Jewish thought around the Messiah, around eternal life, the life of the age to come, they were saying, look, when Messiah comes, everything will be different. Now we're oppressed, but we have a hope for a time of justice. We have a time for a hope of equality, of fairness, of trueness, where, where, where God is honoured, which, which means people are honoured, which means the right thing is done, that means people live in harmony with each other and with the creation. We have a hope for that future, that time. Everything would be different. And they started to have these slogans like, no king but God. It was their graffiti. It was their political slogans that would appear around. In other words, we're not happy about the Romans being here. We're not happy about the way things are working out. We're not happy about people going hungry. We're not ha happy about people being oppressed. But we have a hope that one day things will be different. And Messiah is the one that will bring that. And that will be an age of freedom, of life, eternal life. Dezoe means the sort of life death itself can't even kill. It's that vibrant and pulsating and full and energetic. It's vivacious and vital. It can't be held back. It's Dezoe. I want that kind of life. You see, I'm young. I'm rich. And I'm powerful. I'm probably well known because there wasn't that many young, rich, powerful people in this community. 
He seemed to have everything going for him, but he says, no, I'm lacking something. I want this sort of real life of freedom. I'm looking for it. This sort of eternal life, the life that we'll have in the age to come. How do I get that? And Jesus says, something's holding you back from full devotion. You know, I think sometimes we think believing in Jesus, you know, the way I've heard it taught, it's like putting your name down on the guest list. Well, all you've got to do is believe in Jesus. And we think, okay, my name gets put down on that guest list. And when I turn up, I've just got to give my name and they'll let me in. They'll give me a pass. They'll open the door. They'll welcome me. I just need to believe in Jesus and I'm on the guest list. And it doesn't matter. The, the person checking the guest list knows nothing about you. They don't know uh, the kind of person you are, what you like, what you don't like, what you do for a living. All they know is your name. And if your name's on, you're getting in. And if your name's not on, you're not getting in. It's as simple as that. But Jesus says to him, there's more to it than that. The early Christians had this, this, this phrase, this, this, this way of, 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 of talking about what they believed and how everything was now different. And, and, and it's rendered a few different ways, but we often see it rendered this way, and it's Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, it's a phrase that, if you've been to church before today, it kind of like wallpaper. You know, you just don't see it anymore. You've been in old chapels and seen it inscribed in, 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 on wooden furniture. You know, you, you've seen it, you know, on a banner at a Christian event. And you just don't see it anymore. But when the early Christians started to say, Jesus Christ is Lord, they could have scarcely said something more provocative. They could have scarcely said something more shocking because they were saying that Jesus, this particular person in this, this Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. So they're making a religiously provocative statement saying that he, Christ is just a Greek word for Messiah. It means the anointed one. So, so he's the king. And he's the one we've been waiting for. He's the leader who will take us into that era of freedom. He's the one who makes sense of things. He's the one who will establish justice. He is the one. And this Jesus Christ is Lord. And this word is so loaded. It's a religious statement because Lord, if you, if you read your Bible, the, 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 um, the term Lord, especially when you see it with the, uh, in small caps, is the word Yahweh. It was the word that the Jews wouldn't even speak, the name of their God. The name of their God, the Lord. Um, so, but also, Caesar at this time was going around calling himself Lord. And there are inscriptions that said, Caesar is Lord. In other words, he's the Lord like, like a landlord or a Lord of the manor or the one who owns things, the one who's in charge, the one who has that position, the one who is the master, the one who we submit to. So these Christians are saying, uh, um, are being provocative in their Jewish context, and they're also being provocative in their Roman context. And they're saying, this man who was crucified, who was killed, who was, who was despised by you, who, 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 who you looked on with disdain, who was a troublemaker, well, he is the one. He is the one we've been waiting for, and he is our master. He is our Lord. He is our leader. And not Caesar, but Jesus is the one to whom we will give our ultimate allegiance. It's an incredibly powerful 
religious and political statement. But how does Jesus Christ come to be Lord? Well, there's this amazing passage in Philippians chapter 2, which is uh, one of the letters written to these early groups of Christians. This was um, the one written to the church in Philippi, and this is a, a Roman colony, somewhere where they knew that Caesar was Lord, and uh, they knew about that kind of leadership and that kind of dominion. And it says in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, that if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. This is already a very different narrative to Roman citizens than the narrative of the empire of Rome. In verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Wow. I mean, the powerful doing things for their own advantage. Thank God that never happens today, right? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should believe in it. No, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, there it is, to the glory of God the Father. So what Jesus does is God moves on this journey and this journey is like a V-shaped journey where it says that Jesus had equality with God. Jesus, Jesus is God. Jesus is the word spoke out at creation. Jesus is the second person in the Trinity. Jesus is in the very nature God. But begins this downward journey where he takes on flesh even descending into the grave and the realm of the dead, taking this downward journey of humility. But then, what this humility does and achieves that we see through the resurrection and the ascension, we see that Jesus returns as we read in this passage, to this exalted place, seated at the right hand of God. And it is this very journey that, that makes this possible. You see, this is a different kind of leader. This isn't the kind of leader that wins our affection by a clever marketing campaign. This isn't the kind of, uh, of leader that demands our taxes 
by their power and might. This isn't that kind of leader that demands our compliance by the rule of law. But this is a kind of leader that wins our affection, that wins our allegiance through suffering service. That, that is not too proud, but condescends himself, becoming even the one he's created. And, and on this journey is then exalted and returns to this place. You see, see, see Jesus now is, is, is at this place. He, he has that place of status, that place of exaltation, where Jesus, through the cross, in the most shocking and paradoxical way, actually was lifted up. And he is at this place where he is ruling and reigning. Jesus came, the king, to bring in his kingdom. And you see, that's how Jesus is not like other leaders, but also Jesus is in that place of leadership and he's in that place of exaltation, a place where every knee should bow. Jesus is a king with a kingdom. And that, Jesus came to explain, wasn't what they were expecting, a physical geographical place, but it was saying something about the rule and reign of God. What do things look like when God is in charge? Maybe different than what they are now. So we need to live as citizens of that kingdom and give our allegiance to King Jesus. I mean, does grace mean that it doesn't matter how we live? People often appeal to Paul to this, for this. They often uh, appeal to Romans and, and they think they can go back through all these things that Jesus said and, and, and kind of cover, mo- cover them over with this, this, this blanket of grace. But look at what Paul actually said. You see, as he builds his argument about uh, grace, he then says in Romans chapter 6, and I've got a few selected verses here on the screen. In Romans 6 verse 15, what then? Shall we sin? Shall we live in a way that transgresses our relationship with God? Shall we miss the mark and the best way that we should live? Because we are not under law, but under grace, by no means. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. That's what it is to be a normal Christian. It's to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that's now claiming your allegiance. And Paul here is explaining why too. Because he says this in verse 23. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There it is again. Christ Jesus our Lord. See, just leave that on screen. The wages of sin is death. In other words, this, this way of living, all you're going to be paid in is death. In other words, it's a dead end. You can live in this way. You, 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 you can live in a way which doesn't give your allegiance to Jesus, doesn't give your honor to Jesus, doesn't stay loyal to Jesus. But where's it going to end up? It only it ends up in this dead-end kind of place. But the future belongs to God. And possibility and hope and freedom are in this place. You see, this can seem very restrictive, Calling us to give our ultimate loyalty, our allegiance to King Jesus. I don't want to do that. I I give it to myself. Well, but the thing is, every 
everything that we give ourselves to, everything that we worship other than Jesus has a dehumanizing effect on us. It makes us less than who we're supposed to be. Because, see, see the, the creator has, has made you and, and Jesus is the archetypal human. He's what it really looks like to be a human. And he's the one who can lead us into that place of freedom. See, freedom doesn't mean having no restrictions. You know, that's overwhelming. You know, that's tyranny. It's like, how many times is a, a milk other these days? You know, it's, 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 it's enough to give you a nervous breakdown. It's too much. It's overwhelming. What, what, what we need in life is, is we need the proper constraints. We, we need the proper boundaries. You do this with your children, but we all need it. And actually, within those proper boundaries, there's incredible life. There's incredible joy. We can learn that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We can enjoy life. We can, there's so much creative expression. There's so much beauty in nature. There's so much art and music and adventures and human relationship and sport and interaction and food that we can enjoy and live within the freedom that we've been given Instead of transgressing that freedom in, in behavior which just hurts ourselves and others and leads us into a dead end. You see, Paul earlier in Romans says this. It's not going to be on the screen, but in Romans 1, he talks about the fact that people worship and serve created things rather than the creator. And this is the issue. It's not enjoying things. It, it's worshiping things. It's giving ourselves to things. It's giving our ultimate loyalty to other stories other than this story. And that is where things go wrong for us. You see, what we do, we reverse the dominion of Genesis. You see, God uh, created man uh, with a task, with a, with, a, with a role. Man has a position to have dominion over those things. And what happens when we worship things that are less than us, that we should be leading, that we should be putting in their proper place, we reverse that and we start to be dragged around by the powers, by the other stories, by the other forces in our society. And they start to determine how we live and what we do. We'll never live in a way, in our own human effort, that means we can go up to God and say, I've lived this incredible, virtuous life, and now I demand you give me whatever I ask. We can't stand before a holy God that way. You see, that's why grace is essential. That's why grace is from first to last. We, we, we never even get in this game without grace. And I've spoken my whole career about grace. So if you know me, you know that. And it's grace that helps us continue all the way. And it's grace that is there when we fall and fail. And it's grace that empowers us to live in this way. But listen, grace demands. Grace doesn't say that we should do whatever we please. Grace says that we should respond in kind. We, we, we should... Uh, Respond to this incredible love, this incredible journey that Jesus has gone on to win our allegiance. He now demands it. He now asks for it. He now asks for devotion. So we're going to have to be forensic. We're going to have to look through our lives. We're going to have to spend time reflecting. We're going to have to talk with others. We're going to have to spend time in prayer and in reading the scriptures 
and in simplifying our lives and getting to the point where we say, God, what is there in me? Like that young man whose wealth was preventing him from really finding the life that you had for him. What is there in me? And in our everyday decisions, in our everyday life, as, as things come up, that question is going to raise its head again. But you know, the question raises itself a lot less when you make that decision, when you make that statement and say, the big decisions, the orientation of my life, the, the, the way I do things week to week, the things I put in place are aligned with my allegiance to King Jesus. That big decision helps a lot of other things to fall in. The band are going to come and join me as we draw this to a close. The thing about faithfulness, and I said this last year, is it's not very trendy. You see, faithfulness is a countercultural virtue. It's not exciting. It doesn't provide instant gratification or a short-term boost in status. And we live in such a hurried and anxious culture that we grasp out for things that do. But faithfulness to Jesus, faithfulness in our relationships, faithfulness to our word is the way to live and to build something, a life that we want to live in. And Jesus is calling for our allegiance. Jesus himself said in Matthew 6 that no one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and anything else. And this theme is something that it's been part of the whole history of Israel's God. In, in, in the Ten Commandments, what is the first one? You shall have no other gods before me. And in Joshua, when the Israelites were at a pivotal point in their history, Joshua, the leader, stood up and says, this is a choice that is before you. Joshua 24 24 verse 15. But if serving the Lord, that's what I talked about before, that's Yahweh there. The Lord, Yahweh, seems undesirable to you. Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. In other words, there are other gods, there are other options. But I'm a servant of Yahweh. The, 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 this God is a different sort of God. This God has a bent to justice. This God is a God of mercy. This is the God who I am serving. And you know, for us today, we have options. I don't imagine that many of you are serving the gods of the Amorites, you know, or the ones your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates. Maybe we've got some Iraqi people here. I don't know. But for every one of us, we've got options, haven't we? The principalities and powers are legion. I'm not talking about people going around with pitchforks. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there are so many powerful forces in society and ideas. We all know this. We talk about economic forces, political forces, sociological forces, cultural forces. There's so many ideas, and these ideas are being communicated to us about how we should live, about what we should do. And the media reinforces them. And we look around to see how our peers are behaving and what our family would approve of and make our decisions accordingly. And every time we do that, we say, God... 
Christianity is my hobby. Church is where I find some friends. But my allegiance is elsewhere. And I'm not calling you this morning to have an allegiance to Life Church or even to have an allegiance to a church. Because, yes, it's important to be part of a community. And be, giving your allegiance to King Jesus means genuinely being part of community and all the difficult parts of it. That's required. That's necessary. But it's about giving all of ourselves to what is better. You see, God is that which is calling us forward to the better, to the greater, to the more loving, to the more just, to the more full, to what that young man was looking for, that life. I want life. I want eternal life. I want to live in a place like where things are how they're supposed to be. Well, we can be those who live that and who bring that to people around us. Choose for themselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve Yahweh. We will serve the Lord. You see, you can't control what everyone's going to do around you. You can't control how they'll react to your decisions. But what you can say is, as for me and my household, we serve the Lord. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.